Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Fitter and Faster Coaches Corner. As always, I'm your host, Mike Murray. Today, I finally got him. My <laughs> college coach, Coach Bob Clemmer, the head coach at St. Lawrence University. Bob has coached at many different levels in the sport, including club, college, master swimming. He's done it all, learned to swim programs. And I am so fortunate to have you on. Coach, welcome to the Coach's Corner today. Well, of course, it's my pleasure, Mike. Anytime I get a chance to talk with you. Yeah, I just had to talk you into it for about six weeks. <laughs> Coach, I today we're going to talk about something that's near and dear to both of our hearts and something that we've kind of leaned into as a strength in our career, and that's distance and IM-based training, both for age group swimmers, senior swimmers, and then into the collegiate ranks. You've had so much experience in the sport and you understand how the dynamic has changed a lot over the years. So I'm interested in getting into that topic, but I do want to talk a little bit about your journey in the sport. We like to hear from all our guests about how they got involved and their unique passion for how swimming developed. So let's learn a little bit about what Coach Bob Clemmer uh, had in store for swimming growing up as a kid. Oh, my God. Um, I'm, I'm going to cut through the chase here uh, that the first real uh, influence I had as a swimmer, I grew up in the center of the universe, which is Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, which I think everybody realizes that. Um, and I had the uh, opportunity to be coached by Paul Bergen. Um, and re he really was instrumental in me being here today. I think he really was the first coach that, really showed me what hard work was all about. You know, 12 practices a week was kind of interesting for a guy that started at the age of 13. But uh, anyway, no, I mean, he really, he really opened my eyes up to really what swimming was all about. And I think I not only based a lot of what I've done in my career on the things that he uh, philosophically um, held true, um, but, uh, right after coach Bergen left, uh, Philadelphia aquatic club, he went down to Nashville aquatic club. And of course, everybody realized he hit it out of the park down there with Tracy Calkins and Nick Nevin and all those cats down there. And I had the, uh, the additional honor of being coached by Mike Burton, uh, after coach Bergen left. And Mike had a different kind of an approach to, to training. And that's really where um, I really got a, a flavor for distance-based training where Coach Bergen, um, made, well, I was a breaststroker and all, but uh, Coach Bergen trained me a, a much different way than Mike did. But it wasn't just about what Mike, how he trained me, it's who he was. And of course, we all know about his, uh, his Olympic gold medals in 68 and 72. And having conversations with him, um, he really uh, gave us, uh, the swimmers that he coached, an understanding about, for lack of a better way of saying it, being rough and tough, you know? <laughs> and so uh, uh, th those two guys really got me going, you know? And then I went to Pitt. Uh, hail to pit. Uh, um, and uh, Fred Lewis was my coach there. Uh, even though I went there as a breaststroker, I think because of the 
background that I had in training, uh, uh, Freddie assimil uh, 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 assimilated me into his, uh, his distance program. So that was really cool. And, uh, and then after that, uh, you know, I was on my way. Coach uh, Dick Bradshaw was the head coach then. And he gave me my first opportunity to coach, you know, and so I'm, um, you know, grateful to him. But, uh, you know, I spent uh, several years in, uh, in the Pittsburgh area, mainly coaching club, you know, and uh, I had the good fortune of, uh, of coaching some really, really successful swimmers there, you know, um, so I didn't screw it up. So that was always good, you know. And then I think uh, my other great mentor, I had the opportunity to go to the University of Virginia and work alongside uh, Mark Bernardino. And uh, I credit him with a, a substantial amount of uh, not just uh, giving me the opportunity, he had me as his distance coach and he gave me that opportunity to coach a lot of the talent that was on that team. You know, uh, Pete Wright, uh, Bill Smythe, um, and many others, you know, uh, we had some really talented athletes, you know, and Mark gave me that opportunity as well as, um, let's just say he grew me up, you know, he gave me a lot of uh, professional maturity that I'm so grateful for, you know, and, uh, you know, I think that he's one of the great coaches, you know, of our generation too so that's kind of my background well that's quite a name quite a list of names of coaches that you've either worked with or worked for uh, and I've come across the good fortune of meeting almost all of them and sharing stories about a young Bob Clemmer coming up in the business <laughs> and, you know we talk about any of those Mike <laughs> Well, one of the things that's kind of unique to our story together is that, you know, as uh, as your athlete and as one of your assistants, you gave me my first start in the business. And, you know, the, the greatest athlete that I have been fortunate to coach in Michaela Sargent, everything that she did came from you as an age grouper growing up which was based a lot off of the things that you did with Mark Bernardino. And then here she is, you know, all these years later, having tremendous success swimming for Dino. So the swimming world is a small world. And, and you always taught us that as, as young assistants. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that I'm most grateful for coach is, you know, when I was in college at St. Lawrence and there were times before I went to practice, I'd go to your office for about an hour and it was like swim coaching 101. Why is the mentorship so important this day and age? And as an ASCA board member, I, I really try to incorporate this into Coach's Corner. Why is it so important for great coaches to make sure that they're creating space and opportunities for their young assistants? I think that's one of the important things that they do. You know, um, I think it's a responsibility that they have of not just giving the uh, assistant coaches on their staff a group to, to coach, but really to be able to, to give them as much information as they have, you know? And um, 
as you've heard me say countless times before, I'm not an innovator. <laughs> you know, I took uh, the, the information and the sharing that all the great coaches have done over the decades, you know, and that's one of the great things about our country is that uh, um, how sharing the great coaches are, you know, um, and I think that that's really important, you know, and hell, man, I, <laughs> I made as many mistakes as the next guy. And so um, I want to share those mistakes, too, you know, in hopes that, you know, the uh, coaches that are with me and and a part of the program don't make those same mistakes. You know, I mean, I think that that's really important. For sure. And <clears throat> when I think about some of the tenants of your program and the way that you develop your philosophy as we get into this, the discussion on IM-based training and distance-based training, there's one phrase that stands out to me that you said all the time, and now we say it at Victor Swim Club all the time, which is speed through endurance. Mm -hmm. How did you come up with that approach, and why do you think that that's so important in developing athletes? Well, I think that you have to have an aerobic base, you know, and I apologize for using the Neanderthal terminology here, Mike, you know, uh, but I think that, you know, all the great coaches, you know, they're, they're distance-based programs, you know, whether it be at, you know, like uh, um, at, at some stage in somebody's career, you have to be able to lay that base, you know. And I always remember um, seeing a, uh, uh, the, the pyramiding, you know, where the base of the pyramid is always aerobic uh, endurance, you know, and uh, great coaches like uh, Coach Schulberg and Coach Schubert and, and uh, Coach Urbanchek, you know, you know, Coach Troy, learned a lot from Coach Troy, you know. I mean, those, those guys are all distance-based programs. I don't think anybody would say that, <laughs> that they were a uh, uh, mild training program, you know? So, I mean, they really, you know, make sure that they establish that. You know, you establish how to train too, you know? You teach your swimmers how to train, you know? It's really important for them to be able to pay attention, you know? I think that's a lot what... Um, where toughness comes from, you know, mental toughness comes from is, is discipline and discipline just comes from paying attention, you know, knowing what your splits are in practice and swimming swims the right way as far as uh, splits are concerned, you know. One thing that I always took away from you <clears throat> is how important precision is on sets. You know, you have a famous saying where you would say negative split by time, don't negative split by feel. Descend by time, don't descend by feel. And so as a young club coach, when you were in the Pittsburgh area, you, you had the good fortune of having some pretty talented athletes at the time in Melanie Buttemeyer, Mike Coslina. What did those great athletes teach you about IM and distance-based training as a young club coach just coming up? Well, you know, those swimmers that you quoted were all hundred 200 swimmers you know of course mel would probably argue with me that she wasn't a 200 flyer but that's where she got her only national championship so i don't know you know but you know i mean it's it, that's just the way it is you know i mean they they were real smart kids you know and 
coming from Pittsburgh, and not to say this is the only area, but it still was a blue collar environment, you know, and those, those kids had parents that were just really rock solid, you know, and so they had that discipline coming from home. So it made my task a lot easier, you know, and I was probably a lot more um, vocal uh, during that phase of my career. But I think, you know, that, I think that's really important that they were just like that. As I had said before, I mean, we had a, we had a, a, we used up all the minutes of our practice, let's put it that way. So, and they were very cooperative and I was blessed uh, having those swimmers on. I mean, they were just so talented. I mean, it was my job not to screw it up. You know what I mean? But they were, as long as I did right by them, they were just going to really light it up. And, you know, they were really a great bunch of swimmers. You told me about some of those practices where uh, the guys on the team would try to beat each other to the wall, climb out, and then lay down like they were relaxing. Yeah, yeah, that's a good story. That that actually came from uh, a, a tremendous swimmer, a very successful swimmer back in the 60s and early 70s in Philly. Uh, Gary Plantier was his name. And I always remember it. I mean, he was he was at a state uh, winning all the trophies and all that kind of stuff, going to nationals at 13 and stuff, which was kind of unheard of for a guy. But uh, he would always as soon as he finished his race, he was immediately jumping out of the water and stick around. It was it was kind of cool how he did that. You know, that was kind of his signature move. And uh, I had Mike Coslina and another a great swimmer, uh, Marty Moran. Uh, and actually there was a couple other guys, you know, um, that would knock heads and they would, I mean, they worked so hard to the last part of the repeat so that they could get out of the water before the other guy touched, uh, and looked like they were lounging and said, you know, what took you so long? I mean, it got to a point where I had to say, you know, just, you know, you guys are getting pretty close to hurting yourself to getting out of the water because, you know, the starting block was there and that kind of thing. But that was really cool watching that kind of stuff. Talk to younger coaches, Bob, because I think some of this is getting missed out in the development of young coaches. Talk about why competitiveness in practice is okay. And having a sense of humor about being competitive is important. Well, they call, it, they call it competitive swimming, right? I mean, that's what they call it, not participation swimming. And your, your teammates are as every bit of influence and could contribute to your success as much as what you do. You know, um, you're, you're, you're looking at swimming where it's all about time. And I think that if you're paying attention to racing with the other person, I think that you're paying a little bit less attention to how you feel. And I think that that's really beneficial because you can only think about one thing at once, right? So you might as well think about the things that are going to make you good. And so that's one of the things that I've always said that is really beneficial, you know, know what to pay attention to, right? So be a good coach in the water, that kind of thing. I really appreciated that outlook as an athlete. We used to have a lot of fun on certain sets. Our, our, my teammates will tell you that there was a particular mid-semester break workout where you were really challenging a few of us and the Rocky soundtrack was playing in the background and we had a lot of fun with that. And, I, uh, 
<laughs> That's right. Coach, so here you are, you're a young club coach and, and Melanie Buttermeyer makes her first national team and now you're on the national team staff. What are you learning about distance-based and IM training? Who are you going to at that time as a young coach to find out how to invigorate your program with that approach? I'm going to have to pause you on that one because Mel made uh, the world championship team before she came to me, Al Rose in Pittsburgh, and he was a great coach, you know, and he had a lot of great swimmers. So she actually made her first uh, international trip uh, with Al, but then she moved over. We had a lot more swimmers at the national level that she could train with you know and i think that that's kind of where she moved over al was a more of a because of his um at the time he was training out of a i want to say it might have been a been a 20-yard pool at the jewish community center but i might be wrong about that but he had he was really restricted and i was fortunate enough to coach at a six-lane 50-meter pool at chartiers valley high school actually it was so I was able to do a lot more and had a lot more room when those, those early years uh, of uh, coaching, the background that I quoted to you before is what kind of influenced me in, in the training that I presented. And plus, you know, going, uh, I wasn't always able to go to the ASCA world clinics uh, back then, and I think they could probably do it now, but are, are still doing it now, but there used to be, you know, the internet wasn't around back then. So I used to buy the world yearbooks and I used to read all the lectures, you know, of George Haynes and Doc Councilman and all those cats, you know, I used to read about, you know, the lectures that they gave and that really helped me formulate uh, Ed Spencer. And of course, I don't know if I mentioned Coach Schubert. He was a big influence in what I did, but I used to read those things and that really helped me out as far as what I did and how I did it. Did I answer your question? You did. Absolutely. And when you got to some national team trips, who were you leaning into? What do you mean? Like who what? were like guys who were on the staff or, or women who were on the staff that you developed? Oh, some... You know, it's kind of funny that my first national team uh, experience was with the national A team. They had a training camp and it was UN at University of North Carolina. I was fortunate enough to be on that staff. Jay Fitzgerald was the head coach there. Uh, Bun McAllister, you know, hopefully you guys know some of these guys, right? Bun McAllister was awesome. He had a young Janet Evans with him. And there was another Olymp there was a few Olympians there actually, uh, but uh, uh, Whitney Hedgepath, who um, was coached by Duncan, uh, God, I can't remember his last name, out of Virginia, they were knocking heads. I remember Bud coming over and saying that they did a set of 200 IMs and every one of them was under the senior cut, you know, which... Back then, it was pretty impressive. I mean, it blew my socks off. I'll tell you that right now. There was a guy there, and this was just around the time that lactate analyzing was hitting, you know, hitting the scene, named Dr. Jack Daniels. And Jack it was, it was uh, well, he's a Hall of Fame uh, uh, running coach, you know, 
Um, and he wrote, I don't know how many books. I don't know how he, he, he won like a whole bunch, like eight or nine NCAA championships at Cortland state. Well, he was there running the lactate analyzing, you know, where you get the piece, a little bit of blood and you stick it in the thing and, and analyzes it and that, well, he came up with this formula, um, for swimming where, um, you know, uh, you know, by measuring the levels of lactate in the blood and all that kind of stuff. I apologize for not sounding too scientific, but, um, and he came up with this formula of taking the swimmer's best time and being able through percentages of figuring out how fast they should train for um, max VO training, endurance, aerobic endurance training, and you know, that kind of stuff. So it was really a, a, a godsend for me at the time, you know, and it gave me my first opportunity, Coach Schulberg swimmers, like uh, Dave Wharton was there, Eric, uh, Erica Hansen was there, Kathy Hetchy, Jeff Pryor. Uh, there was just a boatload of talent coming out of Coach Schulberg's program, you know, and it was over the holidays. It was from like December the 26th through January. I don't know, it was something like third or fourth. And Coach Schulberg allowed his group to come down as long as they did a 16,000 IM for time on New Year's Day. So that was kind of interesting, you know. And of course, all, everybody's heard the, the kind of monster, you know, mental challenge things that coach Schulberg used to do you know I mean I coached a lot of the GA kids at um, UVA 25,000 for time and all that kind of neat stuff so so there's something but, to be said for that I, I remember um, you talking about that with us uh, as young athletes and I remember one athlete who will go nameless said well coach that's just garbage yardage and you said well one man's trash is another man's treasure <laughs> did that young swimmer listen to me uh i think i think eventually yes. yeah i think he did just fine for himself you know <laughs> you mike real proud well you know a lot of what i do is what you did and a lot of what you did is what coach Schulberg did and we've done some things like that and it certainly helped athletes become more successful and certainly you know, from a, a, a confidence standpoint, you know, if you can do a 5,000 for time twice, when you go to an open water national championship, 10K is not very hard. You right. can go four 1,600 IMs and descend them. Going the 400 IM to fly back to back isn't so bad. And when I came up with these ideas, a lot of it was based on a single videotape that you showed me once. And I don't know if you'll remember this, but you brought me in the office. I was complaining about having to go the thousand two free back to back one time. And you said, you know, I got to show you this. And it was the UNC versus UVA dual meet. It was going to be close. And Pete Wright swam the thousand. I think he was close to breaking nine minutes. And, yeah. then, went, and then went 140.1 in the two free minutes after finishing. And from that point on, you know, there was, there was nothing that I could, that I could say. And that brings us to a great point because Pete Wright probably taught you the most about elite level swimming. You know, you were on the, the 96 Olympic advisory staff. You, you coached Pete the, during that year with Mark. Um, there's a famous test set progression that I use that you taught me. 
Talk a little bit about Pete Wright, the training that you gave him and, and his eventual uh, spot on the Olympic team. Well, first of all, um, from a coaching standpoint, all the credit goes to John Carroll. John Carroll, when he was coaching at Jersey Wahoos, he coached Pete from the age of 12. And so Pete came to UVA with all the skills and all the tools because of Pete, you know, extremely intelligent person, but uh, both, you know, I mean, he's an engineer and all, but John was really the huge bulk of the credit is goes to John Carroll. I was just kind of the beneficiary of, of what they did. One of the things that Pete was relentless, you know, as far as in his training was concerned. And he was, a, he was an extremely intelligent swimmer, you know, and it was a lot of fun with him. And one of the stories I think that you're talking about, uh, every Tuesday afternoon, I would do a long distance swim. And then back then they didn't have digital clocks or at least we weren't able to afford them. And so we had the old analog clocks and Pete, he would pay attention to his 25 yard splits, right? Because if he, he didn't want to wait around even for the 50 to find, because we were in a, a short course pool then. UVA is a Taj Mahal now, but um, we were in a short course pool and he would pay attention to the 25 yard splits so that he was able to make an adjustment if he started falling off the pace. Because we would take those times and base a lot of what our training was, you know, like the old T30. You know, I didn't do a T30. I did a 3000 for time because a lot of those cats could finish the 3000 before 30 minutes. Pete, uh, his, his average pace was like a 56 low, like a 56.2. That was pretty good back then. And so that's what we did for that. And I based a lot of, a lot of my expectations and, and goals as far as a lot of the other stuff that, that we did from an aerobic standpoint based on that T30. And of course, we got that from a lot of the credit there goes to Coach Banchek and Coach, uh, Coach Bergen too with the T30 stuff. You know, I was doing that stuff back in Pittsburgh for a little bit, but not really applying it as much as I did at UVA with all those great distance swimmers. I was fortunate enough off the coach. You know, the test set progression that a lot of people use now is what I learned from you. I, I've been able to, I've been very fortunate to be asked by USA Swimming to put it together and it gets a lot of downloads every year and a lot of people are using it, but it's really yours. So the way that we set it up at Victor is based off of what we did at St. Lawrence, because I saw the progression with my teammates um, and, and you were nice to me. You only made me go through it maybe once or twice a season because uh, I, I still thought I was a sprinter. But <laughs> you, uh, you started off, we would go six 500s and then we would go three 1000s. And the next week we'd go two 1500s. We'd go a timed 3000, like you just mentioned. And then you'd cap it off with a, a mile for time. And boy, by the time we got to that mile for time, and this is still true in our program, and we, we just did a, a T1500 because we're short course meters right now. We see a lot of best times, even throughout the season. Awesome. Is that something that, you know, you, you tried one time and then you said, hey, look, like this really works. 
And you actually, and I'll let you talk about it. You actually have the same type of progression for the IM. So if you want to talk about it, jump right in. Okay. Well, if you want me to. A lot of that came from Coach Bergen. And you've heard me say that when uh, the, the cycling, you know, cycling your program and Tudor Bumpa was the Yugoslav um, physiologist, I guess, that put that together way back when. And pyramid four four week cycle where the you build up for the first three weeks and then the fourth week you have a what I would always call a regeneration week because I hated to use the word recovery because it gave the swimmers a false idea about what we wanted to accomplish. And each of those weeks uh, at UVA it was primarily you know a little bit at Pitt but at UVA primarily is what I did that with is just about every day we were doing uh, something that they were going to see four weeks later. Like on Monday, um, I, I like to do Max VO work with them. And it would start off with sets of, of hundreds. Usually about, I think it was like on about the 150. Then the second week, it was sets of four 125s. And it always added up to like two grand for the main set. Because we were cranking it out like 10 grand, 11 grand to practice, then um, those, those kids could take it. And then the third week was 150s. Now, I tell you that because then on Thursday, we did another max VO at longer distances. And the pace that they established on Monday is what the pace that their goal was on Thursday, you know, um, we did, uh, uh, we did, uh, let me see, we did broken twos on the first week, three hundreds on the second week, and then five hundreds on the third week. Now that was a set I really enjoyed because even Pete failed that set, you know, and it was hard to give him something that he couldn't succeed in. I swear to God. But what we did with those, it was like six, five hundreds on, I don't know what it was, something like eight minutes or something, where the first 125 was at the pace that they established on the uh, 12 150s on Monday. And then the rest of it had to be their T pace, right? And that was everybody was able to do that, right? The second one was a little iffier, where they had to do a 250 at that 150 pace and then the last 250 um was at their t pace um and this is the one that crushed a lot of their spirits the third one they had to do a 375 at their 150 pace and then the last 125 was their t pace so that i really like that one and then on Tuesday is when we did the long distance stuff. We did a, um, what was it? A two, depended on the year, like a, a 2000 for time. And then the second week was a 3000 for time. And then the third week was a 5000 for time. But then the fourth week was a time that was regeneration week, right? That was a timed mile, you know? Um, and then Fridays, I always, in the afternoons, I always like to do a lot of pulling, you know, 
Um, I've changed that around a little bit after listening to Coach Eddie Reese saying that he liked to use Friday afternoons for sprinting because everybody was so gung-ho because it was Friday. And that made a lot of sense to me, you yeah. know. But back day in the 90s when I was coaching UVA, I, I did it pulling, you know. And then Wednesday and Saturday was a set that was made up of a lot of different things going through a, a couple of rounds of it, you know. And uh, like 800 IM, four 200s free, you know, some kicking stuff in there, you know, just mixed it up. What my swimmers used to call a spaghetti set. So that's what that used to be. And all of my mornings were pretty much just IM too. So Wednesday and Saturday was IM training. Um, and it gave me the opportunity of getting my uh, 400 IMers um to train with the other ones the the distance freestylers uh but they would train im stuff you know and uh a lot of times the guys their third event at accs was the 400 im you know pete steve warner uh all american from california those cats were doing 400 ims and accs and uh rojas Rob Rojas, yeah. Rob Rojas actually was a little bit more of a 400 IMer than he was a distance freestyler, you know what I mean? Um, but he came from Mission Viejo. So um, I think Terry Stoddard was his coach. I don't think Coach Schubert was, uh, was his coach. I think it was Terry Stoddard during that era, uh, who obviously was a tremendous, one of the all-time greats too. But yeah, it was fun coaching Rob. <laughs> So it was a great group. It really was. It was a great thing. And just sit back and, you know, I was a little bit less flexible back then. Uh, I really wanted to stick to my program. You know, I really wanted to follow through with it. And if it blew up and it was a smoking crater, then I would change it then. But fortunately, I was able to get through, you know, a lot of those years and you know, there were some times it was kind of funny. Do you mind me going off on a tangent like this? That's what this show is for. Man, Dino was, well, first of all, he was a Philly boy, you know, and there's a lot of us out there, you know, like Jack Bowerly and, you know, a lot of other cats that are out there. Um, but uh, my, oh, Mike Prado, I should mention Mike. I mean, heck, I grew up with Mike. He and I, he was actually the first person I ever met in swimming. The first day I walked into PAC, Mike came over and introduced himself to me. So him and I have been buds for a long, long time. Um, so anyway, so uh, getting back to it again, we always swam UNC uh, the end, like toward the end of January, right? And I stuck to my program big time. And UNC was our big rival, you know, F Frank Comfort and Rich DeSelm were the coaches there. And they always had those kids swimming fast, but always drove Dino crazy because that was always the third week of my cycle. So I kicked the living crap out of them that week. And oh, my God, it just you know, because Dino was such a competitor, you know, one of the great guys of all time, for sure. But he's such a competitor. And uh, it drove him crazy. I mean, words were exchanged sometimes <laughs> with me. But we always pulled it out our you-know-what's at the ACCs and it ends 
NCAAs. So he forgave me. But the from like January until NCAAs, I wasn't his best buddy during those weeks because, you know. So anyway, so that's a story. <laughs> so coach, you you have all this success at the college level. You do some really great things, and then again, fortune has it you you run into another great athlete who you really helped develop into what he became when you moved to New Jersey Wave and you have John Cole on your team uh, who eventually made a national team and still has the pool record at Harvard, by the way, from when he was swimming with you, 856 in the thousand. Uh, talk to me about how what you learned in the college realm after being there for many years, how did you make adjustments to your distance and IM based training when you had an athlete like John? Well, I don't know necessarily it was because of making adjustments because of what John couldn't do. You know, John was, I mean, he went to Harvard and he was just, he's a brilliant guy, you know, just like Pete and a couple, and a lot of the other cats, you know, um, but it was the circumstances that we had at New Jersey Wave. Um, it was a six lane, 25 yard pool and the community college would only give us two hours. And so we had a jam, you know, we had our top 12 and under age group in there as well as the senior group. And I coached the senior group and uh, my assistant coach, a great guy and great coach, Ken O'Reilly. I think he's still there, isn't he? At New Jersey. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. now Scarlet. Okay. Scarlet. Yeah. Uh, he, he took the, the, the top age group. Uh, and so we had to jam him in there, man. <laughs> Poor Ken had to jam a lot more people in those two lanes that I came on then anyway. But John had to train with not only people that weren't able to swim as fast as him, but also sometimes he had to do things that the other kids in his lane weren't doing. They were doing a completely different set. But, you know, he was such a great guy. You know, he had great parents. You know, Mr. and Mrs. Cole are great people. And uh, John was a, I had to kind of water it down a little bit. I, I couldn't give him the kind of program that um, I was at given uh, from UVA. You know, he still did a hell of a job with it. You know, really smart swimmer, fearless, totally polite kid. And then he went to, and then he went to Murph and uh, at Harvard and Tim Murphy, who, as we know, I mean, is a, one of the all-time greats, too. Murph was from Wilmington, Delaware, so it was kind of like a, a suburb of Philly. He got the gamma rays from Philly, so Murph got a little Philly in him, I guess. But Murph just coached him up big time. John just had a wonderful college career. I mean, I was really impressed. Without a doubt. And, you know, he, he obviously the, the skill development translated very well from what he was doing in your program when he went to go swim for Coach Murphy. And, you know, one thing that kind of brings together every aspect of these athletes that you've talked about and these coaches that you've talked about is they all value toughness. And toughness is something in the contemporary coaching world that we're all very careful to talk about now. It's kind of like walking on eggshells in some ways because we want to be really supportive and we want to support athletes' mental health and wellness. But toughness is a key ingredient in the development of strong people. Forget about athletes. So, you know, I needed toughness probably more than anybody 
uh, and I'm so fortunate to have learned those skills from oh, you. Is this where I should be disagreeing with you, right? <laughs> no, you were tough. Don't sell yourself short. You were tough, Mike. But talk about why you talk about it so often in your program and why, above all other things, aside from athletic development, with the student athletes that you work with, you really do a great job of holding athletes accountable, holding them accountable for their own success and teaching, you're, you're not afraid to teach tough lessons in the face of a challenging educational environment. And, and talk to me about why that's so important. Well, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned, you know, the world's not easy and it ain't getting any easier, man, you know, so I think that it's good life skills to help them learn, teach it to them, they learn it, right? To help them learn how tough they can really be and what hard really is. And I think that if you put them in a position where their toughness is going to be tested then, and if they care, genuinely care about how successful a swimmer they, they're really going to be, they'll reach for that toughness and they'll surprise themselves with how tough they really are. I mean, it's all about who, whose hand touches the wall first, right? <laughs> it's not all about that, you know? And so you want to, you know, I mean, the last 10, as we saw in so many great races of our country, I love watching those races. It's so much fun, you know, in not just the current group of champions, but also even as far back as like the 80s and, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, the last 10 meters is just as important as any other. So you want them to be able to you know, not to be distracted by their fatigue level because, you know, it's going to be there. So why pay attention to it? Because it's not going to help you. You want to be thinking about what's going to make you faster, not anything else. So that's why they call it practice, right? So you practice what you want to accomplish in the race. So you want to put them in that kind of environment, that kind of position. There's no doubt about that. And something that you know, we want to hold our athletes accountable for this day and age is learning how to be a good teammate and learning how to be a good leader. What are some things that you do with your college team or that you did with club teams you coached in the past to cultivate leadership and teamwork? Um, well, uh, at the club level, it's just a little bit more challenging than at the collegiate level. I think it's not impossible, but it's just a little bit more because Collegially speaking, they're with each other 24-7, right? Um, but uh, I used to, in the club days, I used to take my, uh, my best swimmers, my fastest swimmers, and impress upon them that they need to lead by example, you know, and because their teammates are watching, you know. I was blessed by the fact that... Um, all my swimmers in the club level got along really, really well. You know, they generally liked each other. There was no, no clunkers in the crowd, you know, and, you know, thank you to moms and dads that made that happen. You know, it made my, my job a lot simpler at the collegiate level. I think that, um, you know, I never really was one about uh, letting the swimmers pick the captains. I never really was big about 
that I like because they have to work with the coaches, you know, they have to buy into the philosophy of what the program is, you know, and I always thought that that was really important. You know, you were a great captain at St. Lawrence University, by the way, one of the best, but uh, really have always felt that captains shouldn't just be the cats that lead the cheer during the swimming meets, you know, I mean, I really gave my captain's uh, responsibilities, you know, physical responsibilities to do different things. And I thought I taught them about how to be a good leader, you know, and I relied on them a lot too. They didn't want to know everything that was happening happening on campus. I didn't want to know that. I, I, I wanted to rely on my captains to tell me times that I needed to know things. And, uh, but don't get me wrong. I mean, even with I always solicited the input of all the swimmers before uh, appointing captains, you know what I mean? Like at the end of the season, because the, you know, the first years, they don't know everybody yet, you know, so I always relied on the graduate, the people that were graduating and the uh, varsity swimmers as far as who they wanted to be their leader. You know, and we have one of those blogs that has a lot of different information on it from a training perspective, from a psycho, you know, psychology. And we always dump our video videos of the swimmers that we take monthly. We dump that in there, too, so they can always look back on it if they need to with or without a coach um, meets. We would dump on there. But I also had this link to leadership and, you know, just a laundry list of expectations, you know, about um, what they, sh how they should be. I can't remember where I got it from. I want to say it might've been Ed Spencer that might've came out with it. Uh, I think right around the time that he was at Nashville, maybe um, what to do, what you should be doing as a, a freshman, what you should be doing as a sophomore, what you should be doing as a junior. I think that was about when he came out with that and man, it's, uh, I followed that, you know, I mean, it was a great way of having your swimmers evolve, you know? Sure. Absolutely. I, I wanted to ask you this question because it's important for coaches development and this, this show is primarily for coaches development and, and parent education. You are above all else, a wonderful family man. You know, you're, you're a second father to me for sure. Talk to me about coaches balancing work life. It, it's becoming kind of uh, work life balance. The phrase is kind of becoming cliche, but it's so important in, in coaches understanding how to navigate a very busy lifestyle. Talk to me about some strategies that you used and what you've learned along the way. I can only tell you what works for me. All right. That's all I can tell you. And I have two drop dead gorgeous daughters, you know, uh, my oldest daughter is 25 and my uh, other daughter is uh, 23 and mom did a great job of raising that, you know what I mean? But uh, when I left University of Virginia, um, I didn't want my children's parents to be the daycare center. So what I did was one of the things about going to the New Jersey wave that I was able to do is I could coach morning practice and, you know, we didn't own the pool. So I went home 
So I was Mr. Mom during the day and what a ball that was. And then my wife got off of work and, um, you know, we were like two ships passing the night kind of thing, you know, and then uh, I went off to the second practice and we did that for a couple of years. And then when we came to uh, St. Lawrence University, Carol had uh, a job uh, working in the uh, school system. You know, she was a, what they call the opportunity room, which which was basically where the teachers threw the kids that they didn't, you know, that they didn't like. They threw them to Carol, but Carol did a great job because she didn't, you know, the, the kids confided in her because, the, you know, she didn't owe them anything, you know, that kind of thing, or they didn't owe her anything. And so it gave me the opportunity getting back into college of, you know, I had a season. I mean, I, ne- I haven't been, I've been here for the last 20 years and I was never a club coach since I've been here. So I, I spent about 20 years, I guess, as club coach, but I, I'm not a club coach here. So even though I ran a, a camp and, and lessons and had to run the pool in the summertime, I was still able to have a lot of time with my uh, daughters uh, during the, you know, during the day and during the summers and that kind of great stuff. And you get breaks like Thanksgiving break, you know, we don't have classes, the December holidays, you know, that kind of deal. So it really gave me the opportunity to be a part of their lives, you know, and I must've been okay because they still let me be a part of their lives. So that's okay. No doubt about it. All right. Are you ready for some quick fire questions? I don't even know what that means. What is I it? Know, I know. I knew. I knew you. I knew you doing this year, and, you know. All right. Oh. You ready? All right. Here you go. This is the first one. You got Phillies tickets, Eagles tickets, 76ers tickets, or Flyers tickets. Where are you going? Oh, damn. That's a tough call. <laughs> I probably go to see the Eagles. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Philly's a football town. You know, we love our Flyers. We love our uh, Phils. Now we love our Sixers because for a long time there, they really sucked eggs, you know. But we we, we bought into the process. Uh, true or false, Pat's is the best Philly cheesesteak. False. False. It's the most well-known. You know, John's pulled pork. I like those. You know, there's a lot of great Philly cheesesteaks there. What is the what is the one of the primary ingredients, Mike? See if you learned your lesson. What what is the primary ingredient to a Philly cheesesteak? I would say shaved steak, but I don't know. No, it's it's ribeye, by the way. It's not shaved steak. But uh Amarosa rolls, man. Oh yeah, you know. I think I heard of that the first time from Coach Bernardino. Yeah, Dino knows his stuff. If it's not on an amorous roll, then you're eating something else. You might as well just throw steakums on there or something like that, man. And of course, with or without, what does that mean? Uh, with cheese or without? With cheese whiz. Cheese oh, with. Wit. Yeah, wit whiz or without. A Delco accent. Yeah, I get it. Uh, so let me ask you this. What's when, that? When, whenever I went into your office, I'd see all those pictures of some different national team trips. What was your favorite national team trip? Ooh, 
Um, Bowerly did tell me about the white water rafting that you guys did together. <laughs> he is such a, oh my God, what a great guy. It's not just because he's from the center of the universe, you know. Um, we went to, uh, we went to, uh, in 91, we went to the World University Games there. And, you know, it started out that we went down to Tampa Bay for uh, uh, I don't know, three or four days before we went over to England. And they put us in this high rise thing that was for the, they built it for the World University Games, but um, it, it ended up being um, housing apartments for, for that kind of thing. And uh, <laughs> in our room, uh, first of all, there's no shower, man. And you had the water thing, you know, and a tub, you know, which, to be honest with you, is the first time I ever did that in my life. And uh, I roomed with Bill Wadley, you know, Bill was a coach in Ohio State, and I don't know how it worked out that I had it. Uh, I, him and I had a room to ourselves. But Jay Fitzgerald was the head men's coach, and Karen Thornton was the head women's coach. And what a great staff. I mean, Susan Teeter was on it, and Jay, I always said Jay, but Jack was on that staff and Alex Braunfeld, uh, a tremendous coach. He was on that staff and Brian Lee from, uh, um, from, uh, I think it was from California or Hawaii. One of them two things. He was on the staff too. Well, Brian, Alex and, and Jack had the, had a room together in the same room. You know, and they had the bunk, the, the beds next to each other. And but but we had a ball. We had an absolute ball, all of us, you know. I was getting married right after that was done. So uh, I wanted to get my wife a, a special gift. So I had Karen Mo Thornton and Susan Teeter went with me to shop. Oh, that was a great staff. I loved it. I mean, I liked all the staffs, you know what I mean? Uh, the, the, the distance camps that I went to, you know, Mike was on there. Jack Simon was on there. I was the IM coach. I wasn't coaching the distance swimmers, but it didn't really matter, you know? Um, so, uh, Cindy Gallagher was on that. Uh, and, uh, she was in, uh, um, Paris with us with the, um, um, what do you call it? The, um, national junior team thing, you know? And then the other national junior team that went on, that was so great. That was another great staff. I had JT Tremblay on it, and what a crack up he was. And uh, Harvey Humphreys, you know, Jack's assistant. Harvey was absolutely insane, you know. I mean, he really was, you know. But they were a lot of fun, too, you know. Um, I, can, I can imagie. Yeah, I had a lot of, I mean, a lot of great times, you know, during that period of my life, you know, a lot of great fun, you know. Um, there was this, uh, the Olympic Festival, you've heard of that, right? So the Olympic Festival, um, where they take the best 16 and under girls and best 18 and under guys, and you have a draft, you know, um, and you draft your swimmers, right? So, um the uh, Ed Spencer was, I think it might've been the very last Olympic festival it was out in the uh, air force Academy. Right. And, uh, Ed, you know, things got uh, going in Nashville and he had to step down from it. So, uh, um, uh, Mike Unger was in charge of that at that time, you know, and Mike called me up and I was still coaching with Dino 
And I went out there and well, I had, uh, I had um, uh, Brent Rudemiller, you know, God, you know, my, I, I pray for him every day, you know, what a fantastic guy Brent was, or is, I saw so I say that. Well, Brent was doing the picking, right? So Brent, of course, comes from Arizona. So the team, it was the North team. It was like every kid was from Arizona, you know? <laughs> and we had another guy on there, uh, Townie Brewster, who was uh, the late Jim Woods assistant coach at Berkeley Aquatic Club. And Townie was psychotic. I mean, he was just so much fun, you know? So we made it a... a a, a plan because every every team you know northwest south and he's got uh, a van right so tanny tanny was the culprit to this but he, he he brought brent and i along that we wanted to have um the keys to every van you know at the same time <laughs> so we did that we had we had the photographer hurry up take a picture because uh, one of the managers was running over and we were like dangling it was a great time so so, I mean, those threat, those things were great. I'm sure I'm, you know, everybody had those kinds of times, but I was blessed to have so many good cats on, on the, on those trips with me, you know, it just made it for so much fun and it carried over into the swimmers too. I mean, it was That's great. Exactly right. That's and a, a great staff, you know, that gets along and has fun. And, and it, it's great that you share that because it's such an important aspect of our sport. Uh -huh. Um, Next, next question is, will the women's 800 meter freestyle in Tokyo see that eight minute barrier broken? Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I think they're going to break it by a lot more than you anticipate. They're all champions. You know, they're all champions. I mean, all those, they, they, they've had just such a, a career of success and, you know, representing your country especially the greatest country in the world, you know, the United States of America, representing your country gives you that last extra little bit of juice. I love it. I've never seen a national team not like overachieve, you know, and we're talking about world record holders and, and things like that, you know. I mean, it's always been that way with the United States. I love it. Absolutely. Do you think it will take a sub 20 second performance to win the men's 53? You're asking me a sprint question? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I thought this was about distance and I am, but I don't see why not. I don't see why not. I mean, there's never ever been a time where you can say, you know, oh, that time is just too fast. And as soon as, the, as, soon as you get it out of your mouth, somebody's breaking it. You know what I mean? Times, you know, coaches are smart. The, the, the science to the swimming is getting more and more sophisticated. The athletes are, you know, getting stronger and better and, you know, more, you know, I guess that's the talent, right? No more doubt mental, about it. You know, I, I, I don't, I, I'll, I'll be, I'll be, I won't be surprised I shouldn't say that, you know what I mean? But I mean, somebody's going to do it and chances are it's probably going to be an American. So <laughs> I like it. Let me ask you this. What are your thoughts on the ISL? I think it has its place. 
I mean, they'll find, they'll find the uh, formula to make it successful. I mean, I don't see any reason why our great swimmers should stop and it's well-deserved, you know, any kind of compensation that they can set, can get, it's well-deserved, you know? I like watching it. I think it's fun. A lot of bells and whistles there, man. You know what I mean? So, but yeah. no, I, I think it, I think it's here to stay and I think it has its place. No doubt about it. For sure. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing something that we've never seen, you know, for, for years and years and years, it was, you know, the, the post grad and now it can be professional. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, I took up all of your time because I told you I'd try to keep it 45 minutes, but we're at, we're at 65, but let me take the time to embarrass you and tell you how appreciative I am, how grateful I am. You took a lot of chances on me, man. You took a <laughs> lot of chances on me and I put you in some pretty tough situations at times, but, uh, you know, thank God, thank God I had you because you, you straightened that path. Well, I appreciate that, Mike, but you were a keeper. I mean, you knew what was going on. You came from good stock. Your mom and dad, Martha and Neil, you know, they're really the saints, you know. They, they got a fast track to heaven, Mike. <laughs> no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you to the St. Lawrence University Athletic Department for letting us borrow Bob today. And, and thank you to Carol Clemmer, who... She's the magic behind the, the Clemmer family. I know you agree. And, and a, supportive, a supportive wife in this business is so important. One for her would be a big smoking crater. We all know it. <laughs> well, Coach, all the best of luck to you this coming season. Thanks, Look Mike. forward to connecting. Uh, sure. On behalf of me and all of the alumni from St. Lawrence who swam for you, we are, we are forever grateful. And this episode of the Fitter and Faster Coaches Corner will be available on Spotify, YouTube, and our website. We're going to have it up either later tonight or early tomorrow morning, so you can look for that across all of our social media platforms and at www.fitterandfaster.com. Coach, thanks so much. You bet, Mike.